It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. Since 2010, the most listened to radio show in the nonprofit sector dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to fundraising success, and practical nonprofit management advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from top experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. Also a successful author, his books range from successful online fundraising to expert nonprofit management. Guests on the Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share their insider tips and trade secrets in a conversational style both the experienced and novice will benefit from. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on the radio links. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here to this latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, as our announcer mentioned, this is a live call-in show, so feel free to call in at 347-324-3080. You also can email me today at tedhart at tedhart.com and I will make sure the questions get through to our page two expert. Um, But first up here on the Nonprofit Coach, as always, we start with page one news. Over here in page one news, we have Ariella Gart, who is the marketing and outreach manager at GuideStar, uh, here with this month's GuideStar Minute. Ariel, welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me again. Well, great to have you back and bring us up to, to uh, speed on what's happening over at GuideStar. Absolutely. So we have something very, very exciting that's kicking off next week, which is our Nonprofit Winter Games. Um, so this is a really, really great uh, program for a nonprofit organization to not only um, update their GuideStar profiles, but potentially win up to more than $2,000 in donations to your organization. Wow. Tell so me more we about are getting, it. Absolutely. We're getting really excited for the Winter Olympics, so we kind of decided to have a version of the Olympics of our own. Um, And so really what we're doing is between February 5th and March 2nd, there are a few different types of kind of activities for nonprofits to participate in to achieve our various seals of transparency levels. Um, And those that participate are then entered in to win um, donations towards their organization um, as they participate. So I'll give you kind of a rundown of the few events. Okay. Everything officially kicks off on February 5th, um, and we have our Pass the Torch event from February 5th to February 9th. And the organizations that are eligible to participate are ones that are already at our gold and platinum level of um, transparency. So what we're asking them to do is really share their excitement for their gold and platinum status with other organizations on their social media. Um, So we have a templated... um, tweet or Facebook post that they can share on their own account. Um, and any nonprofit that does this using our hashtag NPO Winter Games is entered to win a $200 gift um, towards their mission. 
we how then fun. have – oh. We're posting the uh, – just to let our listeners know, we are, of course, uh, uh, broadcasting live today over on Facebook. You can find that at facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart, and we are posting the link there for the Guide Star Winter Games. So go ahead. Sorry, I cut you awesome. off. Awesome. Wonderful. I'll share the URL as well at the end. Um, but so the next um, event is called First Time Medalists. So the nonprofits that are eligible to participate in this event are ones that don't yet have a seal of transparency. So any nonprofit mm-hmm. that doesn't currently have a seal, that earns a seal no matter what level it is from between February 12th and 16th, are eligible eligible to win a $200 gift towards their mission as well. Okay, terrific, terrific. Following Tell me, uh, that, I, oh, I'm just scrolling. I'm just scrolling through here. So that does that um, does that then go to the coaching session next? Absolutely. So the next phase of our Winter Games is a coaching session, which is a really great way to get kind of uh, assistance in updating your profile. It's a free webinar with our GuideStar profile experts that will walk you through how to update your profile. You can ask questions specifically about um, your profile, updating it, and things like that, and get some real-time feedback so that you can accomplish some of these goals you know, in the real time, which is wonderful. Um, so you can register for that free webinar anytime, but that is taking place on February 20th. That is terrific. Well, keep going. Tell us that you got a lot here on the site. Again, we've posted the link, but uh, tell us how this all winds up and when. Sure. Sounds great. We have two more events. Um, The first is the ski jump on February 19th to the 23rd. Um, And so that is eligible for any organization that's not currently at our platinum seal. And basically what that means is that if you jump one seal level from the level that you're currently at as of the 19th, you're eligible to win a range of different prizes towards your mission. So that means that if you don't have a seal and you achieve a bronze seal, you're entered to win. If you already have a bronze seal and you achieve a um, silver seal, you're entered to win, and so on. Um, so it's just encouraging our nonprofits to kind of jump up to that next seal level to be eligible to win a gift towards their mission. Um, and then we finish out with the relay. Um, at the end of February, February 26th through March 2nd, um, where we're asking nonprofits to share the fact that they're participating in the hashtag MPO Winter Games on their social media and tag another organization to encourage them to participate. So any organization that tags a different organization to participate using our hashtag will also be entered to win a $200 gift towards their mission. Um, And so everything closes out on March 8th. We'll announce all of the winners and things like that then. Um, but you can visit our learn.guidestar.org slash nonprofit dash winter dash game for more information. Terrific. And again, we've posted that link over at facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart. Uh, how exciting. And again, here on the Nonprofit Coach, uh, we have uh, for years been promoting that our listeners uh, should be completing their GuideStar profile. They should certainly be providing the information uh, to uh, be able to uh, earn the appropriate level of transparency, hopefully the platinum seal of transparency. Um, So we really appreciate uh, the fact that uh, you're providing this really fun way for our listeners to get involved and to um, move up the ladder of transparency. And not everybody can be uh, an Olympic athlete. Uh, but we can all participate uh, in the Guide Star Olympics, right? Absolutely, and you know some great incentives to get your profile updated. So we hope that everybody will join us. Wonderful. Any other update? And this is a lot. This is a lot of work, <laughs> a lot of opportunity. Hopefully, we'll get uh, uh, get a lot of participation from uh, from our listeners. Uh, anything else you want to share with us today? Nope, that's all I have today. All right. Well, everybody. Uh, get on over to uh, GuideStar and start passing the torch and getting ready for uh, your opportunity to uh, win a medal uh, in the nonprofit Winter Games. And thank you again for uh, being our guest here today, Ariel Gart, uh, Marketing and Outreach Manager at GuideStar. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Terrific. And that means it's time for page two. We have a-
have a bit of a, a treat today um, in terms of the introduction of our very esteemed Page 2 expert, uh, and that is uh, Stephen Nill, the CEO of Charity Channel, uh, is actually going to uh, jump in here and make the introduction uh, for me. So, Steve, uh, welcome back here to the Nonprofit Coach, and uh, take it away. Who's going to be our Page 2 expert? Yeah. Well, thanks, Ted. I am really pleased uh, to introduce a, a, a true professional uh, and uh, someone I'm pleased to call a friend, Kent Stroman. Um, I think I'll start with a more traditional introduction, but then I want to move into what I think is, is truly special about Kent. So bear with me for just a second. Um, you know, Kent actually had a full career as an accountant, of all things, um, for 25 years. Uh, teaching accounting um, uh, at the university level before he launched uh, Stroman & Associates. He became a consultant in fundraising, board governance, strategic planning, and leadership development. Uh, he's generated tens of millions of dollars for, for various charitable causes and is a, a CFRE, a partner in the Alliance for Board Effectiveness. Um, he's a board source trained governance consultant uh, he's a Sarkis Foundation-approved retreat facilitator, and he serves as an adjunct consultant for Oklahoma Center for Nonprofits. Uh, he's also earned the Association of Fundraising Professionals, or AFPs, of course, a master trainer designation. Now for the part that I think is truly special about Ken, not something everybody gets at first, but if you work with him as long as I have, it becomes really clear. I've, Ken, I... You and I have known each other for almost a decade, I think, and so I've, I've had a lot of ch opportunity to, to watch you, and I learned that your purpose in life is to equip, inspire, and encourage. Uh, and, and I'll tell you that with Kent, these are not idle words. I've watched him live this purpose in everything he does professionally and in his um, uh, and those few times I get to glimpse him when his hair is down, we once sang karaoke together, <laughs> although he did all the singing, thank goodness. Um, I consider, <laughs> and he's got a good sense of humor, uh, fortunately, because he hangs around me sometimes. Uh, I consider him one of the true masters of fundraising, particularly because he gives back um, not just by giving, I think, very top drawer consulting services, but by training his peers. Um, he wants to make sure that the next generation of uh, professionals that come along after him are fully equipped. That's part of his equip purpose in his life. So uh, in, I guess it was 2012, uh, he launched the Institute for Conversational Fundraising, and its sole purpose is to equip leaders to dramatically transform their fundraising results. As I mentioned, I've known Kent for about a decade. Uh, I first um, was introduced to him, or we we met each other at, a, I guess it was an AFP or a GPA conference, I don't remember now. Um, but he spoke to me about a book that he had in mind, and that led to his first book, Asking About Asking, Mastering the Art of Conversational Fundraising, which has been published by Charity Channel Press, now in its second edition. And... Uh, it, it's it's a, a remarkable book. I, I could go on and on. I'm not going to, but if you haven't read it, um, it's going to give you some insights into fundraising that probably you have not had before. It's that good. He just published with us also Charity Channel Press's uh, second book, The Intentional Board, Why Your Board Doesn't Work and How to Fix It. Um, I'll share this little story, and I, I shared it with Ken, and we had a good laugh, but uh, I uh, wanted to read his manuscript just as soon as it arrived. We hadn't uh, edited it yet. We hadn't done the layout. It certainly hadn't been published. I just wanted to read what he had to say, and I was, oh, I don't know. I was about halfway through it, and I decided, well, I need to get some exercise, so I grabbed the manuscript, walked out outside, and just started walking around the neighborhood. We don't have sidewalks, we have streets, so I'm walking in the street reading the manuscript, which is probably not the safest thing in the world to do, but <laughs> not much traffic in the middle of the day. And I came to a, I came to, uh, this, a, a part of the, of the manuscript that just startled me. I, I, uh, we published 80 books now. I've been in the sector for 40 years. And 
it's it's not often that something really new comes along and um i'm not going to share exactly what it was because i don't want to be a spoiler here but i i you've heard the metaphor i stopped in my tracks i literally stopped in my tracks and i and i was just reading and rereading this passage that he had written on uh, board uh, governance that just so intrigued me that i completely forgot that i was standing in the middle of the street and i tell you if a car had come <laughs> along I would have been smacked. That would have been the end of uh, my career and probably everything else for me. <laughs> so we had a good time uh, laughing about that. But Ken is a is a remarkable um, professional. I consider him a master in fundraising, not only because of his, his obvious expertise, but because he spends such a, a large amount of his professional time equipping others to do uh, their jobs with excellence. And that willingness to give back by writing books, the first and second editions of his first book, Asking About Asking, and then the, his new book on um, the intentional board, as well as his institute and all of the training he does, including taking time out for uh, this radio broadcast, is just typical for Kent. And I, I just want to applaud him. I, I truly admire him. I think that he is emblematic of the very best that our profession has to offer. And Ted, I don't blame you at all for having him on, actually. I'm, uh, yeah, no, well, we're very pleased yeah. to have uh, Kent here with us. And Stephen Nell, uh, CEO of uh, Charity Channel Press, thank you so much for that wonderful sure. introduction. And Kent Stroman, welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach. Well, hello, Ted and Steve. Thank you so much for that kind introduction. I'd say it's uh, rare to get in, introduced by somebody who's as good a friend as you are, and I just wish my mother could hear what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we're glad that we could hear you, and we're so glad to have uh, you here uh, with us. So let, let's dive right in, because this is a topic that uh, every nonprofit executive uh, has to deal with, because they have a board of directors, um, and, uh, and some are more successful than others. Um, but but let's let's start off with the premise before we get into um, exactly what what uh, your advice in terms of how to uh, turn the corner from wherever my listeners might be. Um, but you're talking about the, an intentional board, um, which which would would uh, seem to suggest to me that that's a future state for <laughs> uh, for many organizations. Um, so what if what is it if, about your board if they're not intentional? <laughs> well, um, maybe not either future state or it could be a parallel universe. Um, All right. In fact, the, um, uh, the, the cover of the book is non-traditional in the sense that it has a strikeout. And the word right. accidental is, is stricken out. And so, you know, I've had the good fortune uh, and sometimes the challenge of working with uh, scores of, of boards uh, through the years. And uh, I will tell you that for many of them, when, and actually if you sit down and have this conversation, you know, how did this organization come about? How did you come to be on the board? Um, there was a, a great lack of intentionality and, and, frankly, a lot of accidents that, that occurred, random activities that resulted in this uh, member coming to this board at this particular point in time, and so um, uh, the so many people uh, have have reached out to me asking for help in moving from what I've called an accidental board to an intentional board. That it mm -hmm. just became a natural um, extension of that to actually write the book. Part of um, uh, what I've shared on this show many many times. Uh, is uh, my experience that I've worked with, like you, lots of boards of directors, uh, some more skilled than others, some more prepared than others, but, but I truly have uh, yet to meet a board of directors that wanted to destroy the organization that, that they were serving. Mm -hmm. um, some have come close to making me challenge that, uh, that belief, but um, they all want to do good. They all want to succeed. They want to... Uh, be good stewards, but my experience has been that where there is a disconnect, um, where things don't quite seem to be working, um, is it generally stems from 
uh, either the board of directors itself does, is not aware of what its role is or should be and has never received any training, has never thought that it should be trained. I, I'm not quite sure. I think a lot of board members think these are just uh, innate kinds of skills that when you sit at a board table, you will then become skilled. Um, but on the other side, there's also many CEOs, executive directors, management types that have no idea how to work with a board of directors or what the appropriate role of a successful board of directors would be. And, and therein lies the conflict, that both sides may never have had a good experience, may never have received any training, um, and, but then they're sort of thrust together in their individual roles and expected to be successful. Well, um, I think you're spot on, Ted. In fact, oftentimes um, I'll hear, you know, people come to me and express frustration, and, and I think you outlined it well, whether it's officers or members of the board on one side or the, um, the CEO or maybe other senior executives in the organization that uh, kind of feel like the other part, other party isn't kind of holding up their end of the bargain. So they're frustrated. And, uh, yes. and what we discover is everybody is performing to the level of his or her preparation. And so, you know, I'll ask, I'll ask him, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about your, your, your education in the area of governance and what education have your board members or collectively the board, what, uh, what education or preparation have they had? And it's like you said, it's, you know, we think it's um, innate. Um, so I'm a banker, you know, I know how to, how to lend money. Um, I'm an accountant, right. I know how to count beans. I'm an attorney, I know how to apply the law. But none of those things in and of themselves qualify an individual to effectively govern. And so one aspiration of the intentional board is that it will provide a, uh, an instructional framework uh, whereby individuals can have the, the skills and the, uh, the educational background, so to speak, to do the job that they have so willingly uh, volunteered to do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and want to do. They, they, they want to uh-huh. be successful. They want to be seen uh, as successful. And then, of course, there's the other... Um, aspect of this in that uh, the board of directors is the uh, um, uh, the administrative or the, the the reviewer of the the CEO the executive director so it's someone who is not strong of character or someone who is not confident uh, can really wilt in the face of uh, a board of directors that maybe is not as skilled as they think they are Exactly. Yeah. And, and again, you know, one of the biggest things that, um, uh, that, that has kind of struck a chord as people have, um, uh, whether, whether working directly in boardrooms or people who have read now the intentional board, uh, something they've really appreciated is kind of distinguishing, um, whose job is it, you know, what, uh, yes. as as CEO, what's mine and what's not mine as a board member? You know, what belongs to the board and what does not belong to the board? And right. and sometimes we use That's the right. analogy of staying in our own lane. And uh, the, the clarity right. around that has been something that's been very helpful and, and much appreciated. Well, share that with us because you, you, you start off in, in the first uh, few chapters of the book talking about the five organizational roles, who does what, and then the mm. intentional board structure. Um, so bring that together and, and help my listeners understand whose job is it anyway, and mm-hmm. that's, that's not a bad place to start because um, you and I have just sort of outlined the pitfalls and problems that there might be out there, um, but whose job is it anyway? Maybe let's, let's start yeah. with defining the roles. Yeah, so, um, you know, as, as Steve mentioned in the introduction, my background is business and finance. And um, uh, while uh, while my career has been in the nonprofit field, higher education and, and consulting, um, I've observed organizations of all kinds, um, uh, for profit, for purpose, governmental, um, you know, associations, what have you. And here's what I've discovered: there are five common roles that exist in every organization, no matter uh, what its purpose is. Uh, they exist. And so I'm, I'm just going to give you this, those real quick. Number one is to govern. 
Number two is to lead. Number three is to manage. Number four is to micromanage. And number five is to execute. So each of these roles or functions exist in every organization. And they're neither inherently good things or bad things. They're just things, right? Right. Um, But where we encounter problems is where the activity of a given role is assigned to the wrong party. And so I'm going to go back and, and pick on uh, me. You know, Steve mentioned I'm a, an accountant. Well, I consider myself a recovering accountant. Uh, but by definition, in, in most organizations, the, the role of accounting is a part of micromanagement. It's, it's uh, being attentive to the very small in nature, small but important. Nothing wrong with counting beans, but if we've got the board doing that in the boardroom, it's the wrong party doing the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong place. And so um, what do we want the board to do? We want the board to govern. And so what we do is we identify the activity that goes with each of these functions. Uh, We clarify who that activity belongs to. And then uh, to take it a step further, Ted, and I I think you'll probably um, enjoy the simplicity of this, then what we've done is, is broken the entire universe down into two possibilities. And we say that everything then consists of either governance or not governance. Well, how complicated is that? Um, okay. And yet it where it's helpful like it's in the... Simple. Yeah, so, so what, uh, what becomes helpful and sometimes a bit challenging in the boardroom, I encourage each member of the board to look at the agenda every item on the agenda and ask the question, does this item represent governance or not governance? And if it's governance, man, let's grab a hold of it and and deal with it in the boardroom. And if it's not governance, let's identify it as such. Let's say going back to uh, counting the beans, we say, you know, that's micromanagement. It's very important. It must be done, but it must be done outside the boardroom. We're going to delegate that where it belongs. Let's go to the next item of governance. And, and so right. that one distinguishing factor in and of itself has set many boards free to do what they need to do. So whose job is it? Governance is the job of the board. And everything else is assigned elsewhere, and it gets to the board only by going through the CEO. Mm. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and that also you may have uh, given them uh, a way to go home and to actually end a meeting. <laughs> and end is a beautiful thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, because so many boards um, just talk and talk and talk, and every idea is a good idea, and every board member's thought must be completely uh, described to the, the, the bitter end, as opposed mm. to having an efficient <laughs> board meeting with a, a well-written agenda um, that's, that's agreed to ahead of time, and a, a board chair that will do what? Help us understand the pivotal role of the board chair if we're going to go to this governance, non-governance agenda. Yeah. Well, man, I, I love the questions you're asking. It sounds like we may have attended some of the same meetings. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. But, but uh, you know, back to the the question, what is, what's the role of the board chair? And in my experience, and, and again, I'm talking in the charitable sector here, um, I probably see more misconceptions than uh, correct conceptions as it relates to the role of the board chair. In fact, yep. I was in a, uh, at a conference one time, and, and a very well-respected, highly educated leader was standing up and used this term in regards to the board chair. And she said uh, the board chair is the boss of the CEO. And... Oh. Uh, yeah, ouch. And it was all I could yeah, do, well, that, Ted, to yeah. to not jump up on the table and cry out, no, no. But, um, um, again, by, by preparation and practice, there are people in that role that think that my job is to kind of supervise the CEO and to order around the, the organization through that individual. So let me give a, okay. uh, a, a, a contrast to that. So, so the CEO is, is a glorified gopher. Exactly, yeah. yeah, and and therefore everybody's frustrated, right? Um, right exactly. Instead, in its simplest form, the 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 job of the board chair 
is simply to facilitate the conduct of business. Wow, facilitate the conduct of business. It's as board right. chair, it's not my job to determine the outcome. Um, in fact, it's not my job to uh, solely determine what goes on the agenda or to single handedly prevent things from getting on the agenda. Okay, so we have avenues for these things to take place, and in a in a uh, duly called board meeting, it's my job to facilitate the conduct of business. So, um, uh, um, and 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 import, one of the important roles is clarity and being a part of this team of board members who asks the question. You know, here's a, a topic that's come in front of us. Um, you know, what color uh, carpet should we put in the in the corridors? Well, that's important, but that's not board business. And so right, we definitely. have to exercise self-constraint on those things that are not governance to say, interesting, it's not relevant here. We're going to uh, delegate that back to or through the CEO. And what do we that's want right. to de- deal with? And, in, and so for the board, in its simplest form, we say the board really needs to deal with uh, establishing policy and then monitoring performance against policy. Um, and then, and so we say, who's policy? And, and here, here's again another place where a lot of boards break down. We're worried about um, monitoring the other guy, whether it's the CEO or other staff in the organization. I want the board to start by monitoring itself um, right. as, a, as a unit. Are, are we being effective in our role? How do we know that? Uh, where are the deficiencies and what steps are we taking to, to close those gaps? That's right. That's right. Well, but I, I, before we leave the, 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 the board chair, because um, I think you're right, that a lot of problems actually start and end with the board chair, uh, because either the board chair doesn't understand um, the role of the board chair, as you've just outlined, or um, understands completely but abuses the post. Mm. So help us help us understand how do you work through that and what is appropriate? Yeah. Well, so a part of uh, part of the response I want to give is to um is to state two mosts, okay? I think the most important job of the board is to determine who joins the board. Yeah. So re- recruitment, retention and releasing. Replace yourself, right? Yeah. Exactly. And and so um so I'm I'm assuming now that we have a room full of capable and competent and confident and courageous people. So we've mm-hmm. already started out with a false assumption, right? Um, right. But, well, but what we hope we, we you know yeah. I, I think there's always, there's always room for hope. Yeah. Well, and that's our aspiration. And so the other most I'm going to say I believe the most important office in the board is the office of board secretary. Um, Because essentially the secretary is the keeper of the policies and the protocol. And, um, and, and so it's that, uh, that is the person who they have an office, therefore they have kind of an amplified voice. And um, uh, that, that's the person that I want to, to be ready, willing and eager to um, uh, to identify or to declare when we've stepped out of bounds. And mm-hmm. so, for example, if the board is going down a path that's contrary to the bylaws, anybody can blow the whistle on that. But there's one person that should blow the whistle on that, and that's the, the, the board secretary, because he or she must be fluent in the bylaws. And then you exactly. take it to the next level. Same thing, essentially, with board-adopted policies. Um, mm-hmm. we, we have a policy that we do these things and we don't do those things. Um, and like I said, everybody should be free and equipped, but positionally the responsibility kind of falls on the shoulders of that, of that board secretary. And so, exactly. you know, your question was, how do we deal with a, uh, a board chair that's kind of gone awry? There's a really important role for the board secretary to play in that scenario. Exactly, exactly. But but to understand both the, the traditional role of a board of directors, but also the rules that the board has set for itself, 
uh, and has set for the organization. In other words, these are policies that we've adopted. We need to hold ourselves accountable to those policies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, it's, it's not just a matter of a board of directors coming together and meeting and sort of, you know, ruling by fiat and saying, well, we will do this, we will do this. So, is there a plan? Did we approve the plan? Are we staying on mm-hmm. plan? What are the policies? And are we staying so that it's it's an orderly process based on you know, open discussion and dialogue, and then the board makes a decision, and then it reviews its decision. So exactly, uh, but you brought up a very important topic here. We're going to take a very quick break, and then when we come back, I want to really delve into and for our listeners today to understand the pivotal role of the bylaws, Hmm. which unfortunately for a lot of organizations is a document that if they can find it, they haven't read it in a while. (laughs) So let's, let's come back to that topic of bylaws and we'll be right back. That's good. Every day, millions of people are online, many of whom want to help, volunteer, and donate to a good cause. Nonprofit organizations can use many Google tools to reach potential donors around the world and raise more money. And as an approved nonprofit, it doesn't cost a thing. It's all free. Google Grants helps you promote your website with free advertising on Google.com through the AdWords program. With Google AdWords, you create ads and choose words or phrases related to your nonprofit organization. When people search on Google using one of your phrases, your ad will appear next to the Google search results under the Sponsored Links section. AdWords allows you to target certain geographic areas, dates, and times of day for your ads to appear. YouTube for Nonprofits is another tool that can boost donations to your organization. The program offers a number of perks that get your message out there and drive viewers to take action and donate. You can list your organization on YouTube's nonprofit channel and add call-to-action overlays on your videos to drive viewers to donate. Need help analyzing your website traffic and marketing effectiveness? Google Analytics is a free tool that will give you rich insight and help you increase the number of people that visit and donate to your site. Google Analytics can be invaluable to many people in your organization, such as development directors, marketing staff, and your web team. There are many other tools that can help you reach more donors and raise funds, like Google Checkout, where you can process credit card donations with no transaction fee, Google Sites to create a free website, and Website Optimizer, where you can figure out the best landing pages to turn site visitors into donors. To get started, apply for Google for Nonprofits today. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on Radio Links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And we're back here live with Kent Stroman, the author of The Intentional Board, Why Your Board Doesn't Work and How to Fix It. And uh, just before we uh, went off on break, uh, you brought up this uh, uh, seemingly very banal kind of topic, which are bylaws, which are boring, and nobody really, that's not the exciting part of, of being on a board of directors, is it? Have I ever read it? Did I ever see a copy <laughs> of it? Talk to me about the bylaws. Wow. Well, um, so, Ted, the, um, uh, if, if somebody's considering serving on a board, um, I, I think my strongest caution would be don't even give it a second thought until after you've read the bylaws. Uh, right. And, and I'm, I'm not trying to suggest that there's something nefarious going on here. But like you said, it's, it's amazing how often we've got uh, people or organizations, they don't even know where the bylaws are. Right. And so um, uh, when I work with an organization or a board, if I'm going to do a board retreat, uh, part of my preparation is to read their bylaws. So um, a few years ago, I was... Well, now uh, tell you... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, a few years ago, I was doing a a board retreat, read the bylaws, and uh, fairly early in the retreat, I did this little exercise, and um, uh, I 
I knew it could be, could be embarrassing to one of the members of the board, so I made sure and, and protect them. So I, I asked, who's the board secretary? And, and he raised his hand and I said, I want to ask you to just kind of uh, sit on the sideline and observe. And so I asked the question. I said, um, um, who, who has read uh, the bylaws? Um, who has read the bylaws completely? Just raise your hand. And um, most of the people raised their hand. And I said, in the last six months, well, you know, most of the hands go down. Right. And so um, I, I said, you know, this is pretty much, pretty much on par with organizations that I work with. But I said, my next question is, who would say that you feel confident that we are in compliance with our own bylaws? Well, just the fact of asking the question itself made people a little bit suspicious, you know. But um, the reason I didn't want the board secretary to, to uh, participate was what I told him next. And that is, um, if you think we're in compliance with our bylaws, I want to assure you we're not. Now, I didn't know this organization, but I read their bylaws. And in the bylaws, there were mutually exclusive provisions so that if if one provision was being kept, it was violating the other one. <laughs> the other one. Yep. And, uh, you know, nobody was in jail or going to jail, but there's the potential. Um, <laughs> if if we can't even comply with our own bylaws, we've got some pretty serious uh, potential credibility issues. And so, you know, how, how do we guard against that? Well, like you said, you know, we have to know. Uh, so we got to read right. the bylaws, and if we, after we've read them, if we don't understand the meaning, that's a great place, even in the boardroom, to rally around a question: What does this provision mean? What are the implications? And are we living up to that? And if not, what needs exactly. to change: our behavior or the bylaw? Exactly. Well, I, I for a number of years, ran uh, a, a whole series of board retreats for organizations uh, around uh, the country. And I started doing something on a pretty regular basis, um, and that was uh, to start off with a round table reading of the bylaws and, a, a, and using it as an educational tool where we would get into the bylaws, we'd all have a copy of it, and we were doing it as sort of a markup session. And we would go through and, and we would both read it for the purpose of do we understand it first? Second of all, are we in compliance with it? And then I would share best practices in terms of if I saw a concern, if I saw, mm. as you said, you know, inconsistencies or, or even just downright sort of illegal uh, aspects to the bylaws because what happens is, and, and what I, I started off before we got into this, is to explain is that what often happens for most nonprofit organizations is that there is a lawyer somewhere at some point who wrote bylaws because they were required, um, and they got approved by somebody who formed the board at the initial meeting. Um, and over time, they were then uh, uh, edited and changed by uh, hopefully well-meaning people um, who thought that they understood that by making changes, they might be making things better. Um, and that was a time and a place that each one of those things happened. And that mm -hmm. brought us to today, where we have a set of bylaws that are potentially um, have never been reviewed by legal counsel, uh, potentially have uh, a lot of problems, and it is this board of directors and only this board of directors who are now impaneled who are responsible for getting it right. Hmm. And so we would use that process to just ask ourselves questions about are we meeting as often as, as the bylaws say we should, but is that best practice? Um, where, how, what kind of, so we would come out of that with a game plan to get the organization on a, a path that would allow them to feel very confident to answer your question. We know these bylaws, we're in compliance with these bylaws, because what I have found and what I wanted to ask you guys is that when a board of directors owns their bylaws, understands their bylaws, then a lot of this intentional uh, a focus that you have in this book, which is excellent, by the way. Um, Thank you. They know what that means because then then they can uh, definitively say what it means to create a committee or to serve on a committee or uh, what is tenure and rotation and what. It, but because these are concepts that, again, as we started the show, that 
probably nobody on that board has ever been trained in. Hmm. Yeah. So I just want yeah, to right. share that with you in terms of a way of, of coming back to all the things that you have rightfully put on the table, and that is if you have policies, you need to be in compliance with them. You have bylaws, you need to be in compliance with them. Are you evaluating your own success? And, and, and I, I'm guessing as, as, as you're walking us through your, your thought pattern here is that all of those things help the board feel confident in its intentions. Hmm. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think it's, it's good to ask that question, you know, what is it that we're trying to accomplish here? And if we accomplished what we are endeavoring to do, what will be the effect of that? Right. And right. so many times, you know, what we're doing is just going through the motions. Um, or, and and you, I thought you did a good job of describing it earlier. You know, we listened to everybody uh, talking and asking questions. Somebody said, most of what our board consists of, board meeting consists of is, is uh, reports explaining why we didn't do what we were supposed to. <laughs> right. right. That's fulfilling, right. isn't it? Or the same <laughs> questions are asked over and over and over again and told that there's not an answer uh, but by the next board meeting. But then, of course, we forget that we said we'd have it by the next board meeting. So then we're right back to asking the same questions and getting the same answers. Exactly. So um, we, we, we have, uh, we've got about 14 minutes left. And what I wanted to make sure that we uh, uh, cover for our listeners today um, is take me into that intentional board meeting. Okay, so we've, we've talked about the intentional board chair and, and how important it is that that person understand their role and to use um, the position of chair judiciously. Um, we hmm. talked about the importance of the board themselves working together in an intentional way, and you, you put very early on the table, is this governance, is this not governance? So it, it's sort of a, a, a red light, green light sort of approach that any board member could at least ask the question. And then if I'm, if I'm correct, you, you've named sort of the, the board chair and the secretary as collectively being the brain trust that's going to help guide the board in any gray areas, governance versus not governance, okay, that will get some some clues from maybe the, the secretary in terms of any policies that we've approved, and then we'll get some guidance from the board chair in terms of do we throw this into governance or not. So we don't always have to have the answers, but we need to be able to trust that we have the tools on the board to be able to get to an answer. Is that right? Yeah, it is. Uh-huh. Okay. And so now that know, we've done all that, bring me into the intentional board meeting. What 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 does an intentional board meeting look like? Because you, you mentioned very quickly you had the five, you had governance, lead, manage, micromanage. You you very clearly put sort of accounting and bean counting and micromanagement and then execute. So I'm in the board meeting. How how is that now to be different that it's intentional? Okay. Yeah, good question. And uh in, in the process of, of my work and then in writing this book, one of the things that it kind of compelled me to do is to create a model board meeting agenda. And uh, kind of going back to our earlier comments, you know, oftentimes the, the meeting adjourns and we say, now, what did we just do? And what like you do? said, well, we heard reports and we kind of argued about them. <laughs> um, and so one of the things we begin with is that um, – Meetings require reports, but reports don't require meetings. And so uh, one of the things that, that uh, we've uh, suggested is that uh, boards operate on a consent agenda where anything that's not of a controversial matter, but it's, it, it's perfunctory. We have to uh, receive the treasurer's report. We have to uh, approve the, the, the minutes, you know, the secretary's report and so forth, um, that we uh, deal all, with all those at one time and um, uh, approve them, and then we're done with it. And so literally, Ted, in one minute, we can dispense with the items that usually consume most of the time in board meetings. So somebody right. says, well, now what do we do? You know, if we, if we can't well, be distracted. Ted, and let me, let, 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 me, let me hold you there, though, because... As, as streamlined as that seems and, and as, as, as happy as I am as a board member 
at this intentional board meeting to now know that I have that time freed up. Are you saying that you're assuming as a board member that I'm going to read? <laughs> so, yeah, so in order for the consent agenda to be effective, a couple of uh, uh, preliminaries have to be in place. And number one is that the the reports that we're going to approve have to be available in advance in time that the person could read them and that if right. they're if there's something in that report that merits more consideration, then the, then we can ask for it to be set aside from the consent agenda. Um, right. And and then also but that, that there is a, that I've read it right. So if I'm if yep, I'm a board absolutely. member who, who the 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 two things that I count on by being a board member is that someone's going to read the reports to me and I'm going to get a good meal. Are you saying that the rules have to change? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And and so you know what we say that um, the the report has to be read, not in the meeting, and uh, and just the you know the moment before stepping into the boardroom or even the day before um, isn't sufficient. And so we know that there are going to be some people who are going to underperform, and part of the board culture is you know we want to intentionally recruit those who are. Uh, higher performers into the boardroom, and frankly, in in uh, ways that are considerate, um, we want people who are committed to being underperformers to find their way to go off and do something else, and not not fill up a valuable seat. So now we've freed up that time, uh, and uh, we uh, uh, have approved the consent agenda. So a lot of things that, that I'm used to having read to me, I was supposed to read. Maybe I didn't do it, but now I'm going to get in the habit of doing it because my fellow board members are going to hold me accountable for that. We now have 50 minutes that I usually got nice something to eat and sat back and listened to a bunch of reports. What am I supposed to do? Okay. So um, uh, the, the core, really what the core is, uh, should be happening in an intentional board meeting, I'm going to kind of break it down into two areas. Number one, uh, that we're uh, setting the strategic direction and thinking strategically for the organization. And by definition, that has less to do with yesterday and today and even tomorrow, but more to do with uh, using this analogy the day after tomorrow, so, so well into the future. Um, and the question that you asked earlier um, you know, are the are the bylaws understand stood, and are they best practices? Um, you know, we want to ask our similar question of the organization: Are the goals that we're pursuing appropriate for our mission? And how often does that conversation come up when we're looking at the report of you know last month's board meeting or, or last month's financial statements? I mean, we're looking in the rearview mirror. And, and we say, yeah, you want to glance in the rearview mirror, but you, we want to gaze out the windshield. And so that right. forward-looking, um, what, what should our aspirations be? And have we placed ourselves on a course that if we, if we do the things that we say we're going to do, we'll arrive at a destination where we truly <coughs> wish to be? Okay. And so, so that's one part of it. It's, it's the longer-term strategic thinking, focus, and visioning. And what's the what's the next part? Yeah, so the other one is the is the more immediate, and that's dealing with the um, uh, back to what we talked about earlier. You know, uh, establishing policies and then monitoring performance against those policies. And in the, in the intentional board, we recommend a very strong committee structure. And yeah. so nothing no nothing comes to the board for action unless it comes through a committee. And right. so going back to so, pick so on it's already been well reviewed the board should not have to act as a committee of the whole exactly yeah. it it allows us to um uh to implement specialization so matters of program they're going to be vetted very carefully through the program committee and it's mm -hmm. not that, that that committee does the work for everybody else on the board but they do the initial work just as in the um, uh, fund development committee, 
uh, we've got some specialization as it relates to generating charitable contributions. So the matters that are primarily ab about that, let's let them originate in that committee so that the recommendations that come to the board have the best thinking on that topic before they get to the boardroom. And, and right. our point of entry as a board then is a higher level than what often we do. And it's like you said earlier, it's somebody's thought, whim, or, or a bad dream last night. And it turns into yeah, exactly, today's exactly. Uh, dominant topic. One of the things, Kent, back to um, some of the board retreats that, that, that I've run, one of the, the questions, and I sort of, you know, we, we, we've gotten – uh, all the introductions out of the way before we get to the whole bylaws issue, and, and we're, we're not sort of rolling up our sleeves yet. I'll just uh, I'll just let the room get quiet, and then I will just ask the question, why? And of course, people are looking at me like, why are you asking me why? And what, what's going on now? And I, and I would say, so then I would just add to it, and I would say, why do does this organization exist? And, and the reason that I ask that is that I found that so many organizations exist out of habit. Mm. And as, they, as you really start pairing it back and you ask them, why do you exist? What makes you different? And then I ask the question, if you were required to vote this organization out of existence today as a board of directors, bankrupt, you're done. Any crocodile tears tomorrow? Anybody going to notice that you're gone? What, what's missing from this community if you're no longer here? To try to get them focused before we talk about the bylaws on, you know, what is the essence of this organization? Why do you exist? Do you exist because you have a budget that has to be met? Do you ha exist because there's a building that, that you, you feel you need to do things in? Or is there an intrinsic reason for this nonprofit that was created so many years ago to still exist? Because if there isn't, my position is every nonprofit need not exist unless it has a purpose. Hey, absolutely. And is that purpose relevant for today? So I, I love this book, this intentional board, because it takes an intentional board, and, and, I, and I suppose um, you're, you're, you're somewhere working on the intentional executive uh, or the intentional <laughs> CEO. Uh, who also needs to be intentional because it takes both of those parties to be intentional and to understand each other's roles for an organization to truly be successful. And there's lots of CEOs that feel that they can do it without a board of directors and they would be wrong. And there's lots of board of directors that aren't so sure that they need a CEO and they would be wrong as well, or chief mm -hmm. executive or whoever the, the chief administrative officer is. So we've got three minutes left. It went much faster than I than I had hoped because I just love the 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 purposed nature that you are bringing to this discussion. Sum it up for us in the final three minutes and make sure that my listeners know how they can reach you. Yeah, well, um, first of all, I, I want to say a big thank you to you, Ted, um, for somebody who's interested in the book. It's most readily available at your uh, wherever you buy books, Barnes and Noble, Amazon. Uh, what have you. Um, as I mentioned, I do a lot of retreats, uh, public speaking, and so forth. Um, the easiest way to reach me, I'm going to say, um, is is through my my website, StromanConsulting.com. That's S-T-R-O-M-A-N, StromanConsulting.com. And in fact, I'm going to do have one more thing. That day uh, uh, on the Facebook.com forward slash Ted Hart. Uh, with this show, we've uh, we've posted your uh, your website as well. Go ahead. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, I'm going to go one step further for your listeners, Ted, and that is I'm just going to give my uh, personal cell phone. Oh. And that number is it's nine one eight nine one four two eight one one nine one eight nine one four. But it, but it okay. is permanently part podcast. Yeah. So, um, and and I, I say that because it, I've had so much fun with people who have said, um, you know, I've I've got a question, I've got a suggestion, uh, I've got a, a a problem. Can you just point me in the right direction? And and um, I've I've had so much fun uh, working with people who are on boards, people who serve with boards, or people who aspire to join boards and equip them to be really intentional and purposeful in what they do. Well, you've, you've written a fantastic book that is uh, 
not accidental, but very intentional. Uh, I want to encourage all of my listeners to get a hold of this book. As, as Kent just said, you certainly can find it at Amazon.com uh, or wherever you may uh, uh, buy books. And uh, that's our show for today. Kent Stroman, thank you for being my guest here on The Nonprofit Coach. Oh, you're welcome, Ted. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad friendly podcasts at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.